Amen. Well, let's turn to Matthew chapter 16 this morning. Matthew chapter, I'm sorry, Matthew 15, moving us ahead a chapter. Matthew 15, verses 29 through 31. Matthew 15, verses 29 through 31. Our subject for this hour is cast down at Jesus' feet. Cast down at Jesus' feet. Before we read here, we have another display of our Lord's great compassion and grace, not only being exhibited towards the souls of men, but also the bodies of men. He manifested not only His power, but He manifested the entirety of the Godhead and proving Himself yet again to be the Messiah. And so He continues to fulfill that which the prophets before had said of him, especially Isaiah, which we'll turn to a couple of those texts in just a moment. But look with me at Matthew 15, verse 29. It says, And Jesus departed from thence, and came nigh unto the sea of Galilee, and went up into a mountain, and sat down there. And great multitudes came unto him, having with them those that were lame, blind, dumb, maimed, and many others, and cast them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them, insomuch that the multitude wondered when they saw the dumb to speak, the maimed to be whole, the lame to walk, and the blind to see, and they glorified the God of Israel." As with many of the other miracles of our Lord, we have another account of our Lord healing those that have been brought to Him. Uh, Those that are sick, uh, those that are afflicted in some way. Uh, These were not just events that were random. These were the fulfillments of prophecy. These times of healing, these times of making blind eyes see and ears to hear, Uh, were prophesied as ways to show that this, in fact, was the Messiah. This was He who was told many, many years before. One of those prophets that most often spoke of these fulfilling of these prophecies with these healings uh, was the prophet Isaiah. If you'll turn with me to Isaiah 35 first, and then also we'll turn over to Isaiah 61. I want us to see just a couple of passages of Scripture that show that Jesus Christ, by these miracles, these would be signs or proofs that He was, in fact, the Messiah. Let's first of all look at Isaiah 35, uh, verses 4 through 6. It says, Say to them that are of a fearful heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. Even God with a recompense, He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as a heart, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For in the wilderness shall waters break out, and streams in the desert. And go over with me to Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 3. Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 3. 
Isaiah the prophet writes here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. Again, in our account this morning, Jesus is thronged by a great number of people. A number of these people had been with the Lord for days. They had been following Him from place to place, and He continued to perform miracle after miracle. He healed the sick. He healed those that were diseased. He healed those that were blind, those that were brought with various ailments. Each one of those miracles, no doubt, were astonishing to people. But what really stood out to me, especially as I was reviewing this this week, is what is said in verse 31 about this particular time of healing. It says, insomuch that the multitude wondered. In other words, these miracles on that particular day were beyond what they could have even imagined. They were something that led them to even be in a deeper state of wonder. That is this really what we see happening. These miracles, as they continue to move one upon the other, our Lord continues to manifest in Himself that He is, in fact, the promised Messiah. Again, we get a clue from verse 31 that they wondered when they saw the dumb to speak, the maimed to be whole, the lame to walk, and the blind to see. And we see their response was that they glorified the God of Israel. They were utterly astonished by the power and the grace and the compassion of Christ. They were astounded. It was more than they could have possibly imagined. When we think about the Lord, we realize that the Lord is the only way to find relief. He is the only way to have a burden removed. To submit to His authority, to submit to His mercy, and to submit to His providence is in fact the only way to find relief. I would say to the person today who needs healing spiritually, they need to be saved from their sins, it must be Christ. It is He who you must submit yourself unto. I would say to the person who is here with an ailment, with a disease, with some malady, it is still Christ in who you must submit yourself to. We understand that these people that were diseased, they were maimed, they were blind, they were sick. We understand that sickness and all of these things are the result of the fall. They are the result of sin. Before sin in the garden, if there was never sin in the garden, there would be no death, there would be no disease, there would be no need for a Savior. But even as we've been learning this week, we realize even afflictions and trials and struggles come. They come from a sovereign hand. But this is the result of sin. Death. Illness. Malady. That's what sin does. 
It goes along with the reality when we say sin is no big deal. It's not a problem if we dabble a little bit in sin. A little bit of sin's not going to hurt us. Sin brings death. Sin has always brought death. But the various diseases that people are standing before our Lord with here, it teaches us what our bodies here, earthly speaking, are subject to. We are all subject to the disease. We're all subject to what could happen to these bodies. And we know that unless the Lord comes again, we're all going to be subject to death. We are all going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death and there is no avoiding it. Uh, There is no health plan you can follow. There's no healthy living you can follow. There are good things to do. I follow many myself personally. But I realize that is not going to spare me from disease and it's not going to spare me from ultimately death. Something is going to take my life. Whatever that sovereignly has been in the hands of God. But here are diseases that are brought before the Lord. And the intent here is not to say what caused these particular illnesses. Remember the account about the man that was born blind and their immediate response was, what sin specifically did this man do to be blinded? And of course, the Lord was not even emphasizing a single sin. That was not the intent. The intent of this passage today is not for us to look and say, well, what caused these people to be blind and maimed and deaf and dumb? The reality is we see what the result of sin is. But more importantly, I think we need to understand, and I think we'll see from the text, that they were all subject to the command of Christ. If Christ said, command that that blindness be removed, that that illness, that disease, that that maim, that maiming be restored, whatever it was, the disease was subject to the command of Christ. Imagine that in modern day medicine. If a doctor could look at a person and say, blindness be removed. Deafness be removed. Only at the command of Christ did these diseases leave the bodies in which they were residing in. These are indeed spiritual cures, first and foremost. Christ's works are wonderful. Christ's works of miracles are certainly praiseworthy. There's no greater miracle than when a blind, sinning soul sees by faith. The greatest miracle that's been wrought in you was the ability to see your sin and to see the Savior. It's greater than a cure for cancer. It's greater than a cure for heart issues. Whatever it is, the fact that your blind eyes were made able to see your sin and to call upon a Savior, that your deaf ears were able to hear and understand is the greatest cure mankind has ever seen. Jesus, of course, as in many of the other accounts, the dumb are made to speak, the maimed and the lame are made to walk, and it is something we should wonder at. As we did in a similar fashion last week, I'm going to break this up really into just two main headings. First of all, we'll just expound these verses, give you a little bit of background as to what was happening, and then we'll make, secondly, we'll make a second heading with a couple of applications I think maybe we should gain from the text this morning. 
So first of all, let's just expound these verses a bit more. Go back with me to verse 29. And notice the Bible tells us that Jesus departed from thence. Now he's leaving uh, the coast of Tyre and Sidon where we saw last week how he had the interaction with the woman who had a daughter who was vexed with a devil. And of course, we remember the beauty of that story where uh, she uh, says, I'm not even worthy to receive the crumbs from the master's table because the Lord was testing and strengthening her faith. Well, he leaves those coasts now. Again, where is he heading? The Bible says he came nigh unto the Sea of Galilee and went up into a mountain and sat down there. Our Lord was retiring for a bit of time. He was going to rest. He was going to pray, which was his common uh, pattern. But as he's moving there, notice the multitudes find him again. And much has been our Lord's pattern. He does not turn them away. He does not say, I'm retired for now. I'm tired. I'm praying. He immediately acknowledges and recognizes the multitude. Now again, anytime we see the word multitude, we should sit up and take notice, but this describes it as a great multitude. This account in Matthew doesn't tell us how many this was. It doesn't say how many individuals were there, but we do know it was a great multitude and he's up in this mountain to pray. They no doubt had heard about what was being done. They had either heard about him personally or someone had told them about what was going on. But his fame was spreading. His miracles were reaching ears of people that maybe had never heard about this before. But I want you to notice something peculiar about these people. Great multitudes came unto him having with them. I Again, I don't know if you are in that habit of underlining your Bible. I know some don't do that, and that's certainly okay. But I want you to notice this, this multitude, they had people with them. That little phrase with them is important. Who were these people that they had with them? They had people that were lame, blind, dumb, maimed, and many others. Now we have a pattern of people actually bringing people with this afflictions, these diseases, they're bringing people and they're bringing them to Christ. There's really a beautiful picture that's taking place right before us. This is very similar to the woman who came saying, my daughter is vexed. We see again a pattern of people who have seen the miracle of Christ. They've seen the beauty of the healing that Christ gives. And they're bringing others. Now notice, this sounds like a violent laying down, but I don't believe that's what this is. But it says that many others and cast them down at Jesus' feet. Please note that the people that brought people with them say absolutely nothing to Jesus in this account. They just cast the people down at the foot and the feet of Jesus. And what did he do? He healed them. There is no pleading with him. There is no begging that he would heal them. They lay them down in faith that he can do what he has done previously. Now, when they had them with them, I want you just to consider this and just, if you'll give me just a little bit of liberty here, this is some of these things I'm thinking as I'm standing here. But think about what it must have been like for some that were carrying people that were lame. 
some that were maimed. That means they had to be carried. That means there were people that were maybe being carried in people's hands. Maybe they were being carried on cots. Maybe they were being carried with a couple of people carrying one. But there were people who could not get there unless somebody brought them there. And yet the beauty is they're taking them to the only place they can find relief. Some might be carrying people on their shoulders. Some maybe were just leading others by the hand. But in some form or another, people were bringing them to the feet of Jesus Christ. Now again, I don't believe it's just to be passed by quickly that the various diseases and ailments that are being mentioned, those that were lame, Oftentimes we think lame only refers to legs, but lame can be lame in the arms. It can be lame arms and legs, inability to use legs, inability to use arms. Blind. Maybe it's in one eye, maybe it's in both. Maybe it's people that have been blind from birth, or maybe it's people that have been blinded at some other time. Dumb. It's not what we think it means in our day and age. The word signifies typically both deaf and dumb, unable to hear, unable to speak. It's often the same person. Usually those two things go together. Usually if a person's born deaf, they usually have the inability to speak. But then there's this word maimed. It's not the same as lame. Maimed typically means having lost a limb, maybe an arm, maybe a leg. It may be been the result of a disease. A disease may have taken that leg, that arm, that hand. Some of the other translations and some commentators make mention that it, it rendered the limbs useless, but often it meant to render them useless because they were gone. One of the examples one commentator gave is it may have been the result of leprosy, where the leper would gain, the leprosy would become so infiltrated in the body that the, not to be uh, graphic this morning, but that the arm or the leg would literally fall off. This is the one that had me really thinking. I thought all of these diseases and ailments are obviously a great need there. But think about someone being brought to Jesus without the, lo- the arm or the leg that's been removed. Well, what's the next phrase say? He healed them. That means that arm was put back on. That leg was restored. Whatever had been missing is now there. It reminded me of the story in the garden when Peter, thinking he was doing the right thing by defending our Lord, removes the ear of Malchus. We read these stories and we don't think about the the amazing miracle that was when it says that Jesus put his ear back. Let me ask you, when's the last time you saw that? That's a miracle. We get caught up in the zealousness of Peter and no doubt Peter is like every single one of us sitting here today. We're all Peter. We, here's what we would do. Or we would never do that. 
We all have a little bit of him in us. But the reality is, is even in the garden, even when he was being taken, he performed the same miracle of restoring something that was removed. And yet here, and then there's this miscellaneous people that are mentioned. It just simply says many others. Doesn't specify here in this account exactly what all these other ailments, all these other diseases were, but they were all afflicted with various diseases and they were too many to be mentioned or even listed. And then as we stated our subject, they cast them down at Jesus' feet. Now there's two things I believe happening here. Number one, those that are carrying or bringing the people to Jesus' feet are easing themselves of a burden. They are removing a burden that they have. Why are they bringing them to Jesus' feet? Because it was with the view that Jesus will be moved with compassion to deal with this burden. They wouldn't have brought their loved one to Jesus' feet unless they believed he was able to do whatever the ailment they had was able to be cured by him. They wouldn't have brought them there in the first place. They don't say a word to him. They don't ask specifically, Lord, here's what I want you to do. Here's how I want you to work. They believingly cast their loved one, whoever it is, down at Jesus' feet. And I believe there's humility and I believe there's submission to the sovereign will of God here where they're saying they're putting them down at Jesus' feet, leaving them to whatever he will do. Jesus and his sovereignty did not heal every single person who was maimed and diseased. We don't have every person he ever spoke to. But in this account, they believed and they were submitted to his will. I think there's a great lesson in that. But I also believe they put them down or cast them down, not doubting that he would do what he was able to do. They're cast down at Jesus' feet. These people that had brought their burden is being eased. They know they're bringing their, this individual to the right person. And Jesus' response is simply he healed them. Now again, Matthew's account doesn't give us anything other than the fact that he healed them. Without any thought of what they were saying to him, because they didn't speak, it was just a divine power that came from him. And when we see the word he healed them, we don't read into it and say, well, he partially healed them. He healed some. No, the scripture says he healed them. All of them that were brought on that particular day were healed. Remember, it's a great multitude. We don't know how many people were bringing people. We don't know how many were being carried. But we do know that he removed all of their disease, all of whatever was ailing them. Even those who were maimed, they had limbs restored. And again, that brings us to verse 31. In so much that the multitude 
wandered. Now remember, those who brought those that were diseased came in expecting to see it. I don't think these people brought these diseased individuals with a doubt saying, well, I'm not sure that this Jesus can do this. I believe they came in faith. They came in belief that whatever the ailment was, Jesus Christ could cure them. Now this will be in way of our application in a moment, so I'm jump ahead a little bit. But I wonder, is that the way we truly believe about the loved ones and the people that we have the privilege and the opportunity to bring and to cast at the feet of Jesus? You know, we can become, we can become cold to this reality that we are called to preach the gospel and to bring others to Christ. I'm not saying we're called to save them. We could never do such a thing. But do we actually believe that we can bring our loved ones, our co-workers, our classmates, and bring them to the feet of Jesus? And do we really believe that he can heal them? Are we actually preaching a gospel that we believe? It's possible to say you believe the gospel and you believe in Jesus, but to give doubt and to almost be wavering, do I really believe what I'm telling people? These people that were carrying them believed that Jesus could do. And they were submitted to his will in that. Listen, I've never saved a soul on my own. I've never once saved a person. But we bring people and we leave them at the foot of Jesus Christ and we sovereignly believe in his sovereignty and believe that Jesus Christ and his will is to be submitted to for that person. That's a great comfort to know that I can point somebody to the only help they have. Spiritually, physically, the only need this world, the only need, the only person who can meet those needs is Jesus Christ. They wandered. You ever been you ever gone somewhere with an expectation of seeing what you thought you would see, but then being amazed by seeing what you saw? Your expectations were, here's what's going to happen, but then when it actually happens, you're amazed? That's what this phrase means. They came with expectation. They came carrying their loved ones with expectation, but they were still amazed. I have, I pray that I never lose the amazement of when someone tells me that they've repented of their sins and that they've trusted Christ as their Savior. I hope it doesn't become so commonplace that we say, boy, that's great. Oh, that's beyond great. <laughs> that's... That's the greatest thing you're ever going to hear in this lifetime is to hear that somebody's eyes were open to see and ears were made willing to hear and that they trusted Christ and repented. They actually saw their sin and they see that their only remedy is Jesus. Instantly, Jesus performs this. They're amazed and he performs it in such a miraculous way. Again, these were not just random. These were all to be proofs that Jesus Christ was in fact this Messiah. 
Notice specifically that says they wandered. What did they wander at when they saw? They saw the dumb to speak. Those who could not speak and hear, now they can speak. The maimed to be whole. That person who just moments ago was there with an arm missing now has an arm. Would you not be amazed at that? Are we as amazed at a reality that minutes before a sinner comes to know Christ, they were in a lost condition? And that in an instant, Christ saves them, and now their entire view is different. We can again become so pattern-oriented. We go out into this world, and we see, and we talk to people, and we think, everybody around me thinks like I think. Everybody around me knows Christ. Everyone around me, they don't. I would dare say most of our daily interactions are with unbelievers. Unless you're living in a vacuum somewhere. And by the way, that vacuum may be a Christian vacuum that's Christian in name only. You think you're in a Christian environment and you're surrounded by lost people every single day. Well, surely there's none here. There's none maimed or blind. They're all talking about God. Nowhere in Scripture does it say a man is saved by talking about God. Nowhere does it say that a man is saved by just acknowledging that there's a God. There's no salvation in just saying, I tremble at God. Even the devils, the demons tremble. No, it is in the realization that you are a sinner and that repentance is the only remedy for your sinful condition and that's found in the finished, accomplished work of Jesus Christ and His shed blood on the cross of Calvary. Yet now you see, people are amazed. People are restored. Only the power of God could do such a work. Lame are walking, blind are seeing, just like we saw the times of Messiah when we read in Isaiah 35. These would be things that would be affected or produced by the Messiah. And I love this phrase, and they glorified the God of Israel. Now this seems to be directly related to what Matthew wrote about in Matthew chapter number 9, verse number 1 and through 8. It says, And he entered into a ship, passed over, and came into his own city. And behold, they brought to him a man sick of the palsy, lying on a bed. And you hopefully know this account. Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. And behold, certain of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemeth. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Wherefore think ye evil in your hearts? For whether is easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and walk. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. Then saith he to the sick of the palsy, Arise, take up thy bed, and go unto thine house. And he arose and departed to his house, But when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God, which had given such power unto men. They glorified God. They glorified the God of Israel. We have to understand what Matthew was saying in both of these accounts is that the multitude saw these miracles, these works of God's hands. 
They not only saw he who did the work, but they saw the person in which the work was done upon. These multitudes were affected by both. They were affected by the God who could do this, and they were affected by the results on the person it was wrought upon. Who did they give the praise to? They gave all the praise and the glory to God. They didn't give the praise to the people who brought them. They gave the praise and the glory to God. They didn't praise themselves and say, listen, look who I brought to God. Look who I brought to Christ. They glorified God in it. If you are privileged enough to ever talk to a person about their soul, when you're ever privileged enough to see it happen right before your eyes, all glory and praise and honor goes to Christ, not you. You say, no, it was my eloquence that led them. No, it was the work of God. You could have stumbled and fumbled around and not known what to say. You could have gotten things all turned around. And Christ, if that was that person, that was one that the Father had given, that soul's coming to Christ, even if you are not eloquent. It is not our presentation of the gospel that needs to be sharpened. It needs to be the reality. Are we even presenting and preaching the gospel? Or are we so worried about how someone might perceive our eloquence? Oh, I'm just not comfortable talking to someone about the Lord. How can someone who's not, who has been saved not be comfortable in telling them what Jesus Christ has done for them? You do not have to be a seminary graduate to talk to somebody about their need for Christ. You don't have to be a college graduate. You don't have to be a high school graduate. This is not about education. This is about belief that Jesus Christ can do what he said he will do. And then submitting to the sovereign will of God saying, listen, Lord, you've called your people to just simply bring them to you and your will is going to be done. Again, speaking the truth in love, coming with expectation. It was by God's power alone. That's why God received all the glory. He is the only true God. Now remember, this was not just a random show the power of God. In their day, there were just as many fake gods of the Gentiles. There are fake gods all over this world. And by the way, the only true God is the God of the Bible. Every other God of every other religion is false. It's fictitious. There is no other gods. There's only one. Folks, you're dealing with people every single day who are placing their faith and their trust in a fictitious God. And it's surrounding you and I more than we care to realize. But here it's declared that this is the God of Israel. The way that's stated and the way that's phrased is not by, by coincidence. They glorified the God of Israel, declared to be the God of the prophecy, the God who was promised and it was a, it was a, a glory of the, the people of Israel who knew they were promised there would be a Messiah. And here he is. What a beautiful picture this is. Quickly, I have three applications I think we can draw from this. Some of these I've already mentioned. But number one, I believe my, our prayer ought to be that we should meditate on the goodness and the grace that's being demonstrated not just towards these people, but what's been demonstrated towards us. We are an instant. We are an example of a marvelous 
wonder, powerful God that we are saved. We're an instance of someone that was healed. I can assure you, somebody, somehow, some way, brought you to be under the teaching of the Word of God. If you're a young person here today and your mom and dad have you in a church where you're hearing the Word of God, thank God for that. And don't ever buy the lie that our kids are too young to hear this. If we believe that at all, we'd have our kids making arts and crafts. They're in this building for a reason. And if you have them under the sound teaching of the Word, you have a, you have a wonderful heritage if you grew up with parents that took you to hear the Word of God faithfully. Jesus Christ manifested His power and His Godhead proving He was the Messiah. We should meditate upon how the, even the very prophecies of the Word of God we see coming to fruition right before our eyes. We ought to truly say with the psalmist in 145.3 when he contemplated the things of God, he says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. We ought to meditate often upon the greatness of God in saving the sinner. Second application, I believe our prayer ought to be that even at this very moment, if there's a single person today that is lame or blind or maimed spiritually in this congregation on this Lord's day, our prayer ought to be that they would, be, they would come to Christ today. That they would understand and they would have their eyes opened and their ears made willing to hear can you imagine the rejoicing it is when we hear that sinner that says, I've repented and I've trusted Christ as my Savior. What has happened at that moment? Jesus Christ has healed them. I hope that's your prayer when you come to the gathering of the church. I hope we're praying for people who are unconverted on a Sunday morning, even on a Wednesday. I've been convinced from day one since I've been here. We've had unconverted people with us so often. Some I knew about, some I don't know about. And that really doesn't matter. The gospel and the message is going to be preached is exactly the same. Whether someone's here or they're not here. Because God knows. I pray every Sunday when I come over here early, I pray that the Lord Jesus and a soul would be saved today. It's not just part of our service. It's what the real prayer and desire of my heart is. That even God would providentially bring someone through the front doors of our church who we may not know, that may be unsaved, but that they would leave here healed. Thirdly, I think, and maybe we could make this first, that our prayer ought to always be that God is glorified. There is absolutely no greater glory to God than what comes from the blind eyes of the sinner being opened. There's no greater glory that goes to God from the dumb lips that are now able to speak and ears that are able to hear. Even all the glory of what we see in God's nature and what He's created, there's nothing more glorious than to see God's sovereign work and God's sovereign grace in the life of a sinner. 
Can you imagine if those three things we often thought about, not just when our church gathers, but every day we meditate upon God's goodness and His greatness. We pray for the lame, the blind, the maimed. Maybe that God would even allow us the privilege of speaking with them. But what about praying every day that God would be glorified? A church and our church, if our number one goal is not to glorify Christ, we're in it for the wrong reasons. We're not here for glory. We're not here that our church would be glorified, that people would think, hey, that's a great church. No, I want them to think that's a great God. That is a great Christ. So that generations from now when we're gone, there's still a church that's proclaiming the same gospel that we're standing here proclaiming today. And that the message is exactly the same. What an assembly of people must have been standing before the Lord and what a sight it must have been watching all those people bring those diseased and sick people to Him. The people no doubt carrying burdens and they laid their burdens down at the foot and the feet of Christ. Again, I am not trying to manipulate your emotions this morning and I, I hope you're not taking it this way. But I don't think there's a single one of us today that can say, I do not know a single person that I need to talk to. I think every one of us know, and I think every one of us have somebody that comes before our mind even before I get the words out of my mouth. Somebody, I need to talk to this person. And I'm not talking about manipulation here. I'm just simply saying, shouldn't we as people who are believers be bringing people to Christ? And shouldn't we be actively bringing them to the feet of Christ and saying, this is, this is your help. This is your hope. You realize one of the, and I don't believe it's true, but one of the accusation against, and it's referred this way, us reformed people, is you have no evangelistic zeal. Sadly, in some cases, that's true. Because some of that has led to an a hyper-Calvinistic view that says, oh, we don't have to do anything. That's not scriptural. We are supposed to be bringing people, every one of us, not just the preacher. We all have a responsibility to bring people to Christ. Think of somebody. Think of a friend. Think of a family member. Think of someone right now who you know there is no testimony of salvation. Again, how did they bring people to Christ? They brought them to Christ any way that they could. But they brought them with expectation and in faith that Jesus Christ is able to do. Folks, that's what, that's, that's what soul winning is. I know that phrase has gotten convoluted, but that's what it is. It's, it's bringing people to Christ and showing them this is the Christ this is where your hope is. This, is. this is where your sufficiency is. Think about it today. Again, not emotionally, but think about this from the standpoint, who do you need to bring and cast down at the feet of Jesus? Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word.
And Lord, I pray that we never lose our zeal for people. That Lord, we do not allow ourselves to not be concerned, to not be burdened. But to think and meditate often about who we need to speak to, who we need to bring. Father, we are grateful that everyone who is a believer here today, someone somewhere, spoke or took them to hear the glorious gospel. It comes by hearing. And Lord, we are grateful for people who brought us. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the, the account in your word that teaches us so much. The Lord, may it not just be a Bible story. It's not a story. These, these are real events as they took place. And we're thankful, Father, that we have a Savior who not only can heal spiritually, can heal, heal physically, but he is the hope of every man, woman, boy, and girl. And may we live with that expectation of a living Christ. We thank you and we praise you. And it's in Christ's name I pray and ask these things. Amen. Let's stand together if you would and we'll finish with a closing hymn.